Artificial intelligence continues to make waves in several industries. Hollywood and actors are continuing to fight it out over the technology, while the FBI has now issued warnings about hackers using open source AI tools to write smarter malware. Those topics and more coming up on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Pushing the buttons behind the big monitor is Chris. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? Looking good, as always. Let's Let's get right into it. We're going to talk about the AI impact on the Hollywood strike with the the actors and the writers. We've covered we covered this, I think, on the writer side uh, and when when they first started striking about, you know, their concerns about AI and Obviously, the strike is also about other issues, mainly about how actors uh, will be paid in the future, uh, the impact of streaming services, some really interesting things about how streaming services don't provide residuals like the way that networks and other ones do. But uh, over the, the past couple of weeks, there's been some stories about AI now. So AI is sort of creeping back up into the conversation. Uh, the first one here uh, talks about a speech that Brian Cranston gave over like last week that was very, very interesting to me. Yeah, I saw a little um, bit of it. Uh, basically, you know, he, he, and, and, and obviously Brian Cranston was a guy that was in Breaking Bad if, uh, and other sorts of uh, high profile shows. But he basically said, uh, he was addressing Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney. He says, I know, sir, that you look at things through a different lens. We don't expect you to understand who we are, but we ask you to hear us and beyond that to listen to us when we tell you that we will not be having our jobs taken away and given to robots. So basically, the actors are fearing that studios are going to take their likenesses or voices and reuse them over and over for little or no pay and with little in the way of notice. The writers the writers are fearing that they're going to start using the large language models like ChatGPT to basically write or rewrite scripts harming their livelihoods. Uh, the producers, on, on their part, are basically saying that AI should use should be used as a balanced approach based on careful use, not prohibition. There was another article in the Wall Street Journal, the, the next one that you've got there, uh, Chris, um, basically saying, you know, that there's going to have to be some sort of compromise between the two um, because it, it does feel like AI is here to stay. It's not going to go away. I don't think the actors are going to be able to basically ban the use of AI, especially if if the studios can say, well, we can use it to sort of generate storyboards or generate maybe some some baseline. Obviously, I don't think they would write a whole or, uh, an entire script because if you try that now, it's this thing sucks, right? Right. You know, you and I have done this before where we tried to have it write jokes. We tried to have it write uh, fortune cookie types of things, sayings, and the creativity is just not there. And I don't think the studios, and again, I'm not defending the studios because I think they're wrong in a lot of other points. Uh, I don't think they're going to completely use it to replace actors and writers, but they should allow for some sort of tools to use to help either speed yeah. up the process or start as a baseline or help augment sort of these ideas. You, you know, some of the image generation things would be like, well, this, this can be a way of creating a faster way to create storyboards uh, during the production process rather than having someone hand draw a lot of this stuff, which is what happens now with a lot of, of yeah, those types I of mean, productions. I, I see them using AI, again, to try to speed up the... Um, conceptualization process maybe um, and obviously that could shave off some costs from these production companies um, but at the same time I, I do kind of understand uh, from a, you know from an actor's perspective that fear of 
having your image uh, stripped from you and your likeness and then being generated through AI and then yeah. you not getting compensated for that. There was some stuff over the over the last couple of days too that I also saw. There were uh, stories by background actors, uh, mm-hmm. extras basically, mm-hmm. uh, that have gone to productions and they were, they were scanned mm-hmm. and then their likenesses were used and they had to sign these things. If you want to be an extra in our show now, you have you're going to get scanned, and then we get to basically use your likeness. Now, that doesn't really if if you're only going to be an extra once in your life, then you know it's not a big deal. But if most there's a lot of people that break into the industry, maybe starting as an act, extra or a background actor, and then they become famous later. You've seen lots and lots of cases of this. But the the fear from the actor's perspective is that if I do this and I get scanned and I'm in the background scene, and then later I become famous they technically would have the rights to use that digital avatar and they wouldn't have to pay me at all. Right. Yeah. It's the fear of not getting paid. And I, right. I, I totally see it. I totally see. I totally understand it. You know, um, especially in the streaming industry today where everything's based off of residuals. Um, well, well, not only that, but they're not getting like, they're currently not getting paid from the streaming services. That right. was a big deal. And I think that's the, the killer issue for the actors is that they've got to figure that out. Cause yeah, I thought it was, resi- is, I thought it was residuals though. They get based, they, they get, they get very paid little based off of how well it does or how many times it's viewed or something like that. But, but it's minimal for, for things like right. Netflix and Paramount plus and that, you know, have you noticed that's why all the studios are now going to that right. instead of just sticking with the networks? Because if, if your TV show is rerun on a network, mm-hmm. you get paid, you know, a residual. you get you paid get paid residual. Yeah. The residuals for streaming services are so minimal and so bad yeah. that you, you know, there's been stories of, actors that have been like hey i was on this hit tv show and here's my check for five dollars right right see like like back in the day like with movies um you know the success of it is based off of your ticket sold like yeah that's it how many seats you can fill in a theater yeah and then after that and there is a big disparity between the the you know the sort of the frontline the average worker who's just, or the average actor who's trying to just make it right. in the business. And obviously someone like Tom Cruise or some of these, right. you know, Scarlett Johansson and all of these other A-list actors. Yeah. They're getting a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And they're saying that the strike is not about them. It's more about the smaller, you know, someone who needs yeah. health insurance is right. only making 20,000 a year. Right. Right. And then whenever, you know, a movie is done cycling through theaters, what you used to have back then was, then you have DVD releases. Right. And that's basically equivalent to having it be uh, in the theater again as once things go to DVD. Right. But we don't, we don't but have that. But I think even, even at the anymore. time before DVDs came out, a lot of these actors weren't getting paid on that. So the, like yeah. the, the next contract then had to sort of take into effect what technology now exists and how do we make sure that, that the actors can get paid for those appearances. And I think when streaming first came out, this was probably now 10, 15 years that streaming has been around they didn't have that ability. So that's why I think they're striking now because they need to get paid for these streaming services or that's it. You're, you know, you're, you're not going to have a career as an actor. Um, I also think that it's a good time to talk about AI now rather than allowing these studios to sort of run roughshod over the actors. But on the other hand, I think actors need to understand that maybe some of these tools can and should be used to help speed up the production process. Um, but there's still a lot of mistrust on both sides, which I think is why a lot of people think that this strike is going to go on for a long time. And the reason that I think you and I are talking about this too, is that there's a lot of observers out there in other industries 
looking at this going, how are they going to settle this? And is this going to be a case of, you know, I want to deploy AI in my company and am I going to get, you know, pushback from the employees if they think that we're using this AI to drive, uh, to, to take away jobs rather than sort of to drive efficiency and innovation. Everybody that I've talked to from, you know, the, the guests we've had on the show here to some other people, just, you know, vendors and pitches and PR people, they're all using the right messaging. They're all telling me that it's about augmenting human sort of activity. So I haven't seen at least the, the approach from other companies of, oh yeah, we're going to use this because we don't like our accountants you know, or we don't like our, our sales staff. So we're going to use AI to, or we don't like our customer service reps. So we're going to use chatbots instead. And they've, you know, those, those types of jobs have been tried before pre gen AI, gen AI. And mm-hmm. those things were still horrible. Yeah. They're still not the best. At least the gen I stuff might make it interesting for me to contact customer service through right. a chatbot rather than getting a human on the phone. I still think getting a human on the phone is the best way to do it. It is the best way. Yeah. 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 Uh, just real quick. I was trying yeah. to find uh, the article. I, I can't find it right now. Um, but they listed the production companies who were actually investing in AI uh, and the amount, um, I believe. And again, we can try to find it. Um, it was Paramount, um, Warner Brothers and another one. Uh, they invested, I think, I don't, I mean, millions, millions in, in investing in AI. I could be wrong, take it with a grain of salt, but um, I, I do want to try to find that article just to make sure I have that right. Well, the, but it, it's real. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, all, it just validates that it's, it's real. Like, they're, they're definitely investing, investing in, in it. They're definitely so. investing in it. You can see it with the de aging technology that happens with a lot of these CGI type things. They're using AI to recreate a younger Harrison Ford, for example. In or the, uh, was it Carrie Fisher in, uh, what was the, uh, Rogue One? Was it Last, Rogue One? The Last Jedi? Well, no, Rogue, oh, no, Rogue One. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, when she shows up at the end. Oh, yeah. spoilers. <laughs> well, and, and I think, uh, yep, that was when she, she passed, I believe. So they generated no, she, her. Yeah, yeah. I believe so, yeah. I think it I don't was, know if she had passed before that. Rogue One. Yeah. Could be wrong on that too. Yeah. But, Anyways, they, they, you know, they use tech to... Well, you know, and, and another reason this like came up was because during all of this with the actor strike, uh, there were some, some people that found that the, ad, that the, you know, Netflix and some of these studios are now advertising for mm-hmm. AI positions. Um, one job for an R&D Imagineer focused on generative AI is looking for someone who has, quote, the ambition to push the limits of what AI tools can create and understand the difference between the voice of data and the voice of a designer, writer, artist. The role, the job promises a base salary of up to 180000 per year with the possibility of bonuses or other compensation as well. Uh, another job that was found, Netflix made some headlines after The Intercept noticed an AI product manager job that promises compensation of up to $900,000. And so when you start advertising for this and then, you, and then you tell your actors that you can't pay them money so that they can afford health insurance is a really bad look. If that's so maybe they should hold maybe they wow. should hold off on hiring these AI people until you've settled this strike maybe but I don't know some people just have no idea about the public perception of what you're doing yikes you know oh here's another listing quote wanted to find the next big thing in localizing content enhancing content or making it accessible using state of the art generative AI and computer vision tech this is for you a promising a base salary of up to $300,000 why and this was at Amazon I think Anyway, so these are jobs in AI, right? Yeah, uh, so, but for uh, is, studios. 
So, so I mean, you probably have to have what a background in development, app dev, or uh, it's probably like that, yeah, or? it's data science and artificial intelligence okay. background. You'd have to understand what a large language model is. It's not like you and I are just going to go apply for this job and and get get that kind of money. Right. Right. So I, I just think it's bad timing for the the studios to sort of advertise for this while they're in the middle of a strike. It's like, well, instead of investing in the tech, you could just invest in your writers. Just invest in good writers, right? And if, if I don't know, for, if for some reason, if writers are overworked or whatever, then just hire more. Because um, I know a lot of movies and TV shows, they don't just use one writer. They have a team of writers. Yeah. You know, so you, 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 in, you implement the AI to take what would be the equivalent of three writers out of the room and I just left with one while well, you're going to have a, you know, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you hear about the company that created uh, an AI episode of South Park? I think so. I think, yeah. I, think I, I did hear about so that. So there, there was uh, a company that was using its technology to basically allow people to create almost individual oh, personalized right. stories. Yep. And they did it with all of the characters from South Park. And they only used South Park to just sort of show the example of what you could do because they're now going to pitch this to other studios and other movie makers and other cr- kind of content creators mm-hmm. as this is what you can do. And so it's not like they're creating AI episodes of a specific show. They were just using this as an example, but the people that have ended up going, they did, they didn't publicly release sort of the results because I think you would get into some some copyright issues here. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but from the articles that I've read, the people that saw it said like, "Wow, this stuff was really good." Like you could type in a prompt of, "Hey, have so and so do something," or you know, the boys on South Park end up meeting someone and you know a, a, a chicken and a and a duck, and then write a story around it, and then the technology then utilizes other people and starts creating these scenes, and it's like use that as a baseline for anything and you could just start creating like these and we've seen some examples too of ai generated video and right now yeah they look goofy and they're they're funny well, but we, the, i think everyone realizes the technology is going to get better well we did see the um was it the opening credit scenes for secret invasion that was all oh, done I, AI, yeah right? i didn't watch that show because i heard it was so bad but i, I yeah. didn't watch it either i just yeah, watched, yeah there was some yeah. hubbub about the opening credits being created by ai yeah and i mean you can tell it's it looked like ai they kind of took the ai it, i mean it watching an ai generated video has a certain um imperfect style to it because it looks like things are constantly changing in the frame you could see the ai working right and the imperfections it's making kind of gives it that look of things are constantly moving (laughs) you know and when you watch the opening uh title sequence for secret invasion it's like oh that looks exactly like what all the other AI videos look like. It's just everything looks like it's shifting and changing. It's Yeah, and you know, isn't that weird. sort of the uncanny, the uncanny valley that, that people talk about when you're trying to create CGI uh, versions of, of a human? So if, you, if we were trying to create a, a computer-generated version of me, you would be able to sort of tell that it's... The closer you get to an actual human... They, they call there's an uncanny valley. There's this little valley where it looks either creepy or you can tell. Oh, yeah, I see. I see and, what you mean. And the closer, the, you know, the more you can sort of close that gap, the better the technology will become. And it, we sort of see that with AI's video. You see this morphing and blending 
because that's what the AI is programmed to do yeah. is to sort of create that effect. But you can tell almost immediately that it's right. And again, even so all the stuff I do with mid journey and stable diffusion where I'm creating AI artwork, you, you know, if it has trouble with hands and there are certain ways where the human can still tell whether something is AI generated or not. But those images that we showed of Mark Zuckerberg with the beard, <laughs> those were all AI generated. Right. Um, and if you would look hard, like we had admitted it up front, but you could tell mm-hmm. that they were still fake images. Yeah, you could tell. And and there's now discussions of AI watermarks so that you can tell. And, and that's good. I think that's a good sort of guardrail that's, that's to have. That's a good step. That's a good step in the right direction. There's, there's one more story I want to briefly, briefly talk about uh, that came out this week was that Hasbro may be looking at AI for Dungeons and Dragons, which is sort of a, a melding of the nerdy... Uh, worlds both ai and dnd um this made headlines because a, a company that they purchased uh, hasbro which has the license for dnd uh, as well as magic the gathering basically said um, that this partnership with a company named explored x-p-l-o-r-e-d would allow the company to quote deliver innovative gameplay to our players and fans limitless digital expansions to physical games seamless onboarding and powerful ai driven game mechanics um I thought Basically. I thought Wizards of the Coast was well, it's it's a division of oh, Hasbro. Okay, I see, I see. okay, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Basically, then the, the you know the, the site pressed them for more information. Uh, the guy from Hasbro said AI would be used to generate experiences that could react to player decisions right away and potentially streamline rules to make it easier on newer players. Uh, the partnership also lets Hasbro study the technology, particularly when it comes to another another platform that you were using. Um, Hasbro is getting into this idea of of sort of um, electronic digital tabletop gaming, so that you if you have a bunch of friends that are playing D and D, you can use this sort of tabletop digital version and move your characters around on this virtual. World is it like a big, map. Is it like a big screen? That yeah, it's like it's a big. So uh, I play with a bunch of other guys uh, once a week, and he has this big monitor that's connected to his computer that he built a little case for, and he uses a program called Fantasy Grounds, uh, which basically lets you upload a map, and then you have icons, and you can sort of move it around on a two D space, so that you can plan your three D battle you know, when you're moving and where the spell, the spell range. And it's very like, it's very nerdy, but <laughs> what Hasbro is going to do is they're going to, cre- they're going to, they want to create their own yeah. so that the subscribers to D and D beyond have to go and use the, or they don't have to, but they can go and use it. And then you can start seeing 3d development because sometimes when there was this one guy, this is a way off on a tangent, but there was this one guy in our party. He's no longer playing with us, but he was playing as a rogue and the rogues are like, the archers and the little halflings. And he goes, all right, so, so for my move, I'm going to jump up on this table. I'm going to do a backflip and then fire my arrow while I'm doing it and then land in the superhero three-point pose. And the DM is just like, well, I guess you got to roll and see if you succeed or not. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm like, um, I'm just going to cast fireball. <laughs> you don't care about, you know, just has a range. And, 
anyway, so Hasbro is trying to do this, and, and I think that that's where they're going to be implementing the AI, where I'm currently seeing AI implemented. And again, our, our, our friend who's the DM uses it. He uses it to chat GPT to generate backstories for characters or comes up with ideas on running a campaign. He told me once that he actually had it act like a DM and he was trying to play D&D with chat GPT. So there is some interesting things. Like I created a new character and I, and I used Midjourney to create the, the sort of the look and feel for this guy the character that i created so there is that you lost me at dm do you mean direct <laughs> Dun- message no dungeon master oh, okay gotcha. gotcha see you're just making fun of me but i think you secretly <laughs> have played this game i know you played diablo so that's it's like a it's that's the video game equivalent of it's the closest well, it's it's the closest. it's an action it's an action rpg yeah. uh D is very passive <laughs> and, <laughs> you know it's it's a whole night just to get through one encounter or one battle i think you would be very bored with sort of the the slower pace of D. probably all right so let's move on uh to our other story around ai and this is a story uh that um the fbi uh had issues issued a warning Last week, they held a call with journalists to discuss how generative AI programs are also helping cyber criminals. The bad guys are now using it to develop malware and phishing attacks, and they are using free, customizable, open-source models to do this. Uh, The official added that seasoned cyber criminals are exploiting the AI technology to develop new malware attacks and better delivery methods for them, including using AI-generated websites as phishing pages that can secretly deliver malicious computer code. The same technology is also helping hackers develop polymorphic malware, which can evade antivirus software. Uh, we talked about this on the show probably five or six months ago. I know we had the, the guy in from uh, Boston College. Uh, Ite has talked about uh, how he has seen malware that, that has been created. Again, when you can ask ChatGPT to write you code, it doesn't necessarily... T- you could take the guardrails off and tell it to where to, to write bad code or write malicious code that can use. And, and, and you and I both knew that, that phishing emails, which always had bad grammar and things like that, that's how you would tell if it was a phishing attempt. Uh, when you have something that can creatively write an email now, you're going to start seeing sort of, you know, those types of attacks. Um, so, you know, stuff that we had predicted is now coming to, if, if the FBI is reporting on it, you know that it's out there. Um, there was a couple of other things I want to talk about that the FBI also warned against. Uh, last month, the FBI also warned that scammers are using AI image generators to create sexually themed deepfakes of victims in an effort to extort money from them. Uh, the exact scale of these various AI-powered schemes remains unclear, but the FBI agent added that the bulk of the cases the agency is seeing involve criminal actors using AI models to bolster their traditional schemes. This includes attempts to defraud loved ones or the elderly with scam phone calls using AI voice cloning tech. So they're using deep fakes to make it look like that you, you know, like you were put in a compromising position, whether, you know, and again, I'm not saying, well, the only thing I'll say about that is that if anybody tries to extort me with that, I just hope that the image that they use of is better than what I really look like. I would almost be like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Release that to the world. I'm not going to pay you because that person looks a lot better than I do in real life. Right. Uh, that being said, I would, I, I'm not endorsing that at all. Uh, but the AI voice phone call, I, I could certainly hear if, if, if my family, if I got a phone call 
and it was and it sounded like my son my daughter or my two you know one of my two daughters or my wife and i would and they were like hey i'm in i'm in i, I got in a car accident i i need money to i need get out. i need money yeah. i was arrested I mean, we, help whatever yeah you know a i mean I, I you know what would you what would be my first instinct yeah. i don't know well so the thing is like, i feel like those scams have already been around for a while Right, um, but I, you usually detect that it was not a. It well, was not the person. I, I feel like these are targeted mostly to the elderly, and I mean elderly, elderly. You know, people who are maybe borderline Alzheimer's mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, where they'll call, you know, someone who's compromised, right, and say like, "Hey, I'm your grandson. Remember me? Yeah. Um, I'm in jail. I need to get. I need bail money. Right." And they'll give them their account to deposit the money, to wire the money and stuff like that can happen. I just think now with this, with AI, I think you're, you're going to see a lot more elderly people get scammed pretty easily. And even just your average Joe on the street now can easily get scammed because it's going to look like an email. Like, let's say you have Geico insurance. It'll look like it's from Geico. It'll have the the watermarks, the yeah. the border, and it'll have the copyright on the bottom. It'll look it make it look really look official. So, yeah, I, I mean, well, just, well, think about think about if I was going to target someone, and think about the again with grandparents and grand, you know, say I, I figure out there's a there's a twenty something millennial out there. And I figure out who that person's grandparent is. I'm like, I'm going to scam them. How do I get? How do I get their voice? How do I get the 20 year something year old's voice? Oh, all I do is check TikTok, or check, you know, social media. And now you've got countless number of videos that have their voice on it. Yeah. So now you basically you can just download all of that audio and then create a voice and then call them up, call up their grandparents and and write whatever you want to have them say and scam them out of the money. I wouldn't be surprised if this is happening right now. Oh, it definitely like, is happening. I'm sure, speak. It's, I'm sure it's definitely happening, happening right now. I, and I think that, that in order to prevent that or stop, it's almost like you cannot trust anybody at any time. It's almost, you have to develop a zero trust. The first thing I do, if I'm getting a phone call, I'm checking the, the number and then I'm actually checking, especially my, my daughter, who I can track with the the iPhone, I can then see if that iPhone is coming from the location where they're telling me they're they they are, and then I'm and then I'm calling the police, and then seeing if you know it's it's almost like it's three factor authentication. I'm going to be like I, I I don't believe you until I've I've verified these other three facts. Yeah, yeah. It is a shame that that's that's what people are are doing instead of using artificial technology for good that they're that they're going to use it to try to make money off of people. But that's that's the world. That's life, right? Right. Right. It's sad. All right. So be aware out there if you are uh if you if you hear that your grandparents or grandchildren are in trouble, it might be a scam. All right, moving on. I wanted to to discuss there was a couple of stories this week in the Wall Street Journal. They were reporting that deadly incidents involving e-bike batteries, EVs and laptops catching fire are now raising more concerns about the, the status of lithium ion batteries. Uh, we've talked about this on the show in, in previous episodes. Uh, we've, we've gotten some heat, so to speak, from people that were thinking that we were anti EVs. When we were talking uh-huh, I see about what you this. did there. I see what you did there. Huh. The heat. Yeah. Uh, this is a really cool graphic that the wall street journal 
put out in terms of how an EV battery can catch fire. The interesting part is that once you do this, you can't scroll out of it. <laughs> so good luck, Chris. Uh-huh. <laughs> right um, uh, it's getting there. Did it's, you get it out? Did you, did you figure uh, it out? Hold on. It's oh, there. We go. It's heating up right now. Oh, yeah. Heats up. Short circuits. Boom. So there, there's been a rising number of incidents and, and including a lot of ones that have killed some people where lithium ion batteries in e-bikes have exploded and uh, caused a lot of damage. And they, a lot of these have the potential to fail when damaged, overcharged or operated in extreme temperature conditions. E-bike batteries though are much bigger between 50 to hundred times more than the ones in our personal electronics. Um, and the e-bike ones especially pose a greater risk. For example, on May 20th, a folding bike in a South London apartment began smoking. Then within seconds, an inferno re- erupted. According to Dom Ellis, deputy commissioner for the London fire brigade, the bike's owner purchased it secondhand to commute to work and bought an aftermarket battery from an un specified online marketplace so that's the results of the the fire now there's a video below that just watch like how just quickly security footage this is just a security cam and the guy goes over to check the bike and then in like seconds like that is scary how quickly that that sorts of and and the problem with the batteries is that the components in the battery start fueling itself and it takes fire officials a longer time to sort of put out the fires yeah it continues to burn even if you put water on it now according to this you know the article did sort of point out yeah this kicks off a vicious cycle called thermal runaway the melting battery materials fuel the flames emitting more heat and that heat also creates a flammable gas in other words when a battery breaks down the fire is self-sustaining and extremely hot Now, electric cars also contain lithium-ion batteries, but fires are less common compared with e-bikes. Cars have cooling systems and their batteries are more protected, and any EV battery replacements would also likely take place through authorized service facilities. E-bikes, on the other hand, don't have temperature regulators and their batteries are more exposed to the environment and possible impact, so even minor manufacturing flaws can become severe problems. Uh, This is according to a professor at the University of Michigan, I believe. Uh, who was talking about this? A professional mechanical engineering at the University of Michigan. Uh, cheaper batteries often suffer from defects and low quality control. So this article was basically saying that if you, so what's happening because of all these fires is that uh, you know cities and apartments and other places are starting to have to regulate where these things can be stored, uh, and you've got signs up that go up. You say you can't go beyond a certain point because again, the, the you know I think. Earlier this year, there were four people that were killed in an apartment fire because of an e-bike battery. I mean, look at this. This is a uh, e-bike repair shop right. that caught on fire from one of the e-bikes. That's insane. Yeah. Like, is it just like, is it because of quality control? Like, well, it's, it's I know, so, I know you mentioned uh, third-party batteries, yeah, right? And the quality control might be lesser, but yep. I don't know. Is it is this strictly just a, a quality control issue or? I think that the, that if you are looking at the cost of the battery and if you want a different battery, you, you look for a cheaper alternative, you might go with some place that's not certified yeah. as, as well as the original maker of the battery. Because um, like in all of our phones, all of our phones are... Um lithium ion batteries and yes but they they're small they're, they're a lot smaller than what you would have on sure, an e-bike sure. but even when you look at your phone have you ever noticed if you leave it out in the sun on a hot day yeah 
When you it, go to use your phone, it's all of a sudden it's off. Yeah. It's because it, it'll shut off. It's a safety and um, And the back feature. of it is hot as heck. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they just need to build in that feature in a lot of the batteries and for third-party these e- batteries. Well, okay. For, well, for e-bikes. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure that there's probably going to be some, some efforts on trying to cool down the batteries for uh, an e-bike manufacturer. But I can tell you that this, the, the third-party manufacturer is probably not going to do it. Because you're trying to keep that cost lower to to make the appeal for the aftermarket. Right. Because the way it looks like is like with the e-bike, e-bike fires, it just seems like people are just taking these batteries and strapping into the bike, plugging it in and, you know, hoping nothing happens. So I don't know. Maybe there just needs to be better design, better engineering behind it. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a e-bike expert, but I don't know. Makes me think. So they did, they did actually offer some, some safety tips. Just to, and I just want to repeat them so that anybody watching this um, maybe, get, maybe get some. Here. Yeah, here we go. Use the original battery and charger. If you need an extra, stick to the same brand. Check the battery and battery plug for damage. If you see frayed cables on the charger or a bulge on the battery, hear crackling or hissing or smell something bad and sulfuric, don't charge the e-bike. It would be like run away. <laughs> like if you eat any of that. Basically. Yeah. Limit charging sessions to an hour. Don't leave your bike or battery un, uh, unattended. And don't keep this near flammable material such as house paint. Uh, and then charging, recommend, you know, battery should only be charged at temperatures between 41 and 77 degrees. That could have been a problem here the last few weeks where it was, uh, you know, very well could be 80 to 90 degrees. That could be a problem. So, yeah. and then if, if, if the bike does catch on fire, um, don't use a household fire extinguisher. Just get out and call, call 911, basically. At that point, basically, it's uh, run away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, and, and it makes me wonder too if they even have uh, overcharge protection on them. That's a basic feature in a lot of lithium-ion. Yeah, batteries just overcharge. But again, I, this is probably something that hasn't been regulated to the point where maybe the, that will start happening, and uh, we'll start to see more and more. And exactly. or I'm wondering if you'll start seeing e-bike bans in certain areas. You know, I guess if you're an apartment building, you probably are banned from storing an e-bike downstairs somewhere. Or if you live on like the third or fourth floor. Because thing, you know, once it goes off, boom, fire's only going to go up. Yeah. That's a, uh, Fire goes up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, All right. Now, this was only, this was not intentional, but I do want to talk about other EV, EVs. Um, so this is not, we're not sort of cause, saying that one causes the other. Uh, but another thing I did want to talk about was the launch of some, uh, a family EV. I don't, do you have the story up? I don't, uh, I don't have it here. Yeah, it's right here. It's the yeah. uh, Kia. This was this was from a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, companies are now exploring the next sort of area for electron uh, electric vehicles, uh, which is the third row SUV type family vehicle. And what do I have here? Yeah. The new area for electric vehicle makers is the quote-unquote family hauler, a large three-row SUV. Car companies are planning to roll out several seven-seater electric SUVs, such as the Kia EV9 and Volvo EX90, expected in showrooms in coming months. Auto executives saying introducing larger plug-in SUVs will broaden the appeal of EV ownership to a new pool of buyers. Many car shoppers, especially parents who shuttle children around town, have bypassed electrics because they haven't had the option for a larger vehicle with the third row of seating and more cargo space. So now makers are say are understanding that there's a lot of people that have families. Uh, this this includes me. I have I have three kids. They're now teenagers, but at the time, you know, ten years ago, we were shuttling them all around in in uh, the minivan, 
and there were no real EV alternatives for us. So that's and still not. Um, there is an interesting story that or an interesting stat here that I think you'll enjoy. Um, there was just one large seven seat electric SUV on sale in the U.S. for model years 2022 and 2023, according to J.D. Power. And this was the Mercedes Benz EQS priced at, oh, one hundred and five thousand dollars. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. <sighs> that's 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 easy. Talk about wanting to price yourself out of the market. It's a good portion of Cause your cause house mortgage. Yeah, because that's what that's what families Cost have lying around the house. We have a whole hundred and five thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, you know, especially these days. Like we have that was sarcasm, by the way. Like you know, when dinner costs a hundred dollars mm-hmm. to go out, like that's this the prices and of course they didn't mention the prices of the newer stuff that's coming out but it's probably going to be it's going to be around 60 to 70,000 right well cuz you got to think about it you know if it's a vehicle that is going to see how many 5 6 extra passengers in it maybe yeah right three two three rows well yeah we've got the third row and we've got five people and so yeah. and then we truck around you know if we truck around their friends you know you can get up to seven people yeah so you know they're going to have to take into account the added weight that's going to be added to the EV range. You're going to have to have a larger battery. <laughs> the, the EV range is going to be about five miles. Yeah, I mean, no, the, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not yeah, serious. The, the car is going to have to, you know, compensate for weight. You know, because it's going to be heavier, larger battery. So, you know, it's a lot of things to think about um, when designing it. So the rollout of bigger SUVs will also represent a test of Americans readiness to go electric with vehicles that are more likely to be used for road trips. And we've talked about this uh, before where finding available charging stations can be a logistical challenge and will lengthen the travel times. Uh, This is a quote. I think there will be a lot of skepticism among consumers about how suitable a family EV will be for a road trip, said Ed Kim, president of automotive research firm Auto Pacific. Yeah, I think that would be. Yeah, again, the first thing for me is a, as the the as a family guy, cost, and then the next one would be how long can I go in this van SUV? Yeah, right, because I'm not using it for commuting. We're using it for drives around town to to pick up, drop off, take friends around to wherever, and then the second one would be longer trips to grandma's house or uh, the beach or things like that for the for the long road trip so so if the ev market is getting into more of the family vehicles what do we call them now fevs <laughs> the family ev fev fev uh, call it you know give it some so it would be called marketing like term. swave s sport utility electric vehicle the, suev the sport family Su-ev. electric vehicle does the svev yeah, I think when you whenever you add an F and a U to something, it's probably not a good Sfef, acronym. S F E V or the F E V. There we go. I can tell you're excited about that news. Super excited. All right, one last story. Uh, getting back to sort of some technology that we do understand. Intel has returned to profit. Uh, due to PC rebound lifting chip demand. Intel shares soared last week as a resurgent personal computer market helped it bounce back from two quarters of record losses as it forecast new demand from the artificial intelligence boom. 
The $1.5 billion in profit defied analysts' expectations of another loss. It came after the $2.76 billion shortfall that Intel reported the previous quarter, the worst ever recorded for the story chip maker. CEO Pat Gelsinger said the company was on track with an ambitious turnaround plan articulated when he took the helm more than two years ago. He said demand for AI was poised to boost PC and data center divisions that have languished in recent quarters. So good for Intel. That's all I'm going to say. Right? Yeah, I mean... They're going to have to do something because, um, I mean, as we saw with NVIDIA, NVIDIA, oh, yep, they're just dominating right now. And again, I know they don't make CPUs, but still, they make as GPUs a semiconductor and, yeah. company, you know, they, they, they um, sell chips. Uh, they're going to have to do something. Yeah. I, and I, mean, I don't even, know what it is, but Even AMD, AMD's in all in on AI. There's a lot of companies that are now going all in on AI. And, um, up until now, we haven't really seen that from Intel. And so it's good that, that the demand is back. I know that within the last uh, year or so, there was the sh- supply chain shortage of chips. Uh, I feel like we're sort of out of those woods. So good for, you know, good for Intel. I, I just don't know if that means that you know the future is is bright and rosy for intel um but it is good to see that at least they've stopped the slide yeah i mean the competition's there it's yeah, there i mean they're, they're just gonna have to keep up with top performing chips they're just gonna have to bring it yeah you know? i don't know i don't know what else to say about it like they're you know keep they're gonna have to keep competing with uh amd i know nvidia again they don't make cpus but um GPUs. Still, yeah, GPUs. There's, you know, they're still somewhat, you know, competing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And it's all about AI anyway. Yeah, so. exactly. All right, Chris, thanks again for, for catching us up on the news. Yeah, no problem. All right, that's all the time we've got for today's episode. Please f- like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.